This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This is a special episode of The Upside. Jeff and I talked with my dad. We sat down with my dad, and he was an executive at Delta Airlines on 9-11, and he has a really interesting story And I wanted to get it kind of for our family archives just to to be able to let our kids listen to it one day. And we decided to not only record it, but to share it um, because it's a really fascinating story of that day. The upside means living in gratitude, finding the positive in every experience, and helping other people do the same. You are now part of the movement. Welcome to a bonus episode of The Upside with Callie and Jeff. Welcome to our little studio. We know you've been behind a microphone before, like 50 years ago, literally 50 years ago, doing commercials for who? Skyline Oldsmobile. In Asheville, Western North Carolina's number one Jeep dealer. Uh, So if his voice sounds familiar and you got talked into buying an Oldsmobile. He might have sold it to you. Five decades ago. That's why. Blame it on me. It's good to be on the upside and congratulations on your hot start. And thank you. Best of luck in doubling the upside (laughs) Ah, over the next few weeks. Uh, what was your official title at Delta on, on, in September of 2001? I was vice president and deputy general counsel. So I was the number two lawyer. And I think the best place to start the story is with the presentation that you were giving and the incredible coincidence of what was on the screen when word came in of the attacks? Yeah, so uh, I guess it was about the end of August that I got a call from Jack Dalton, who was the head of Delta's corporate security department. Jack was vice president of corporate security, and he had been head of the FBI field office in Atlanta, so a guy with a lot of experience. Anyway, he called me up and he said, um, in a couple of weeks, I'm having all of my corporate security reps in from all over the system for our annual conference. He said, if you would, I'd like you to come over and give them a legal presentation on the legal issues and the background and the risks and the liability of how they do their jobs. He said, are you available on Tuesday the 11th? And I checked my calendar and I said, yes, I can do it. What time do you want me over? He said, oh, how about nine o'clock? And he said, "Um, one of the things I'd like you to focus on, he said, we're always alert to risks of terrorism. And he said, I'd like you to focus on the legal liability issues for an airline if they were ever the victim of a terrorist attack. Wow. I have goosebumps already. Purely purely coincidental. Like, that's not... Because you said he was you know, worked with the FBI and whatnot, like he didn't. There was no 
information having that something had that was something like that was coming. That was just what he decided one of the topics would be. Yeah, right. Wow. It, it was just, I need my corporate security reps around the world to appreciate the risks because I want them to be on their toes at all times. Right. So I said I would do that. So he said, we're meeting over at the Renaissance Hotel right across the street from the Delta headquarters. He said, come on over about 10 to 9 and I'll introduce you to the team. And I said, how many people are going to be there? He said, well, it's probably going to be 20 or 25. So he told me the conference room. So I went over about a yeah, about 8.45, found the conference room. And as I was walking down the corridor to the room, Jack Dalton was standing outside on the phone. And usually he would greet me and we'd have a little chat. Um, but he was really focused on this phone call. He turned his back to me so that he could concentrate and he walked up the hall. And... After a couple of minutes, he came back and I said, what's going on? And he said, well, apparently a little private airplane hit the World Trade Center. He said, no, no Delta involvement here. So let's go in and get your computer set up. That's um, what everybody thought it was with the first plane hit. Like even TV news. Like, right, was, or like a small plane, a uh -huh. helicopter at one point before that. Nobody really knew. Because it looked... It physically looked small. I just don't think you could appreciate looking at the images on TV, the enormity of the the hole in the side of the Trade Center. So, so he had the same thought or information that everybody else on the planet had, that a private pilot made a mistake and hit one of the tallest buildings in the country. Yeah, something weird had happened. Right. But it didn't involve the airline industry and it did not involve Delta. So let's go about our business. So I go in the room and set up the computer for slides. Jack introduces me at nine o'clock and I start the presentation. And I decided that I would use an example. You know, lawyers pontificate quite a bit and they use hypotheticals. That's how we're trained in law school. But in this case, I decided that we had a really good court case that would illuminate for the security staff the risks involved when something bad happens. And that was the case of Pan Am 103 that blew up at 31,000 feet over Lockerbie, Scotland in December of 1988. And the investigation determined that it was a bomb that had been smuggled on board and gone off. And then the question was, who pays for this? Who is responsible? I put up a slide that had a quote from the Second Circuit Court of Appeals. And the quote said, in affirming the trial court finding, the court said, I actually found a copy of the slide. Wow. Oh, wow. So I, I thought I would, I thought wow. I would bring it over. But the court said, this and other evidence overwhelmingly supported the jury's conclusion that but for Pan Am's wholly inadequate terrorist prevention techniques and its deliberate indifference and 
overt acts of willfulness. But for all that, the bombing and the senseless loss of life would not have occurred. Or this slide is posted up on the screen. It was on. That's the lesson that you're giving as word, I guess, gets to the room. Well, that was the punctuation point of my presentation. And while that slide was on the screen, somebody's pager went off. And the corporate security rep pulled his pager out of his belt clip and read it, and his face turned white. And then other pagers started going off around the room. And then my pager went off. So I stopped the presentation. I looked at my pager and it said, emergency, report immediately to the operations command center. A second aircraft has hit the World Trade Center. And I remember saying to the group, we're under attack. That was the last thing I said. So I unhooked my computer, and as they were filing out of the room, the irony struck me that at the very moment I had that slide up, we were notified of a terrorist attack. So we all have ironic moments in our lives. That is, wow. That remains the most ironic moment of my life, I would have to say. Delta's global headquarters is Atlanta. And I never thought of this until you were sharing a version of this story a few nights ago. But there are offices and and conference rooms and war rooms and situation rooms for any possible scenario, I'm guessing, at the Delta complex. And that was where you were summoned to when they say come to the command center. Is that like the only thing I think? Is it like a conference room or is it like, I mean, you guys can see from there every flight that Delta has in the air. Yeah. So, I mean, it's been a long time since I was in there, but my recollection is imagine Apollo 13. Yeah. Yeah. From the movie. Yeah. Yeah. uh, With flight dispatchers sitting at consoles with headsets and communication with the pilots around the world and big screens up on the wall showing weather, showing the position of airplanes, and uh, in, a lot of information coming in from a variety of sources. And 99% of the time, I would assume it's, it's pretty mundane in there. Yeah, on a sunny day, it's busy, but it's normal. Right, okay. So when you're on your way over there to the command center from that meeting, Did you have any idea really what was going on? Did you just assume it was a terrorist attack? Were you, or were did you not have any clue what you were about to walk into? The sense was it is a, it was a terrorist attack that this is big, but I didn't know how big. Of course, I was thinking about what is my role. I was the Delta lawyer assigned to the emergency command center, which is a separate room. Uh, rarely used. It's like situation room. Right. Right. Uh, off of the main operations center. 
So I was thinking about my role in it, and we all had assigned desks and positions and telephones with uh, assigned lines so we could do our jobs as they may relate to the situation. And when I walked, when I walked into the room, it was already crowded. It was quiet. TV monitors were on. People were chattering, but the head of the uh, of the operations, uh, the emergency operations function, was our vice president of corporate safety and compliance, Mac Armstrong, retired three-star general. Wow! In the Air Force, and what a perfect person! Yeah to have in charge that day. Right. Can you get, make an estimate or a, a guess, or maybe you know the exact number, but how many Delta flights would have been in the air approximately at the time at that morning? Because it wasn't long after this second plane hit and there were threats against the White House and the Pentagon and the plane and the plane ended up crashing in Pennsylvania that the FAA, right? That's who would make, is that who made the decision to, to get every plane out of the sky? Yes. So the second tower was hit, I, I think at nine Oh two. That sounds right. Yep. The first one had been at eight forty six. Okay. And between 9 and 9.30, the FAA made the decision that nobody else takes off. Okay. And I think at 9.45, the FAA made the decision. Oh, wow. It was that quick. Yeah. I did not realize it was within the hour. 59 minutes from the first impact, I believe the FAA made the decision that U.S. airspace is closed. So every flight from every airline, commercial and private and chartered, all of them have to get on the ground at the closest available runway. They were all ordered to land at the nearest available airport. Wow. Were you guys at any point when you were first there worried that another Delta, that Delta would be involved? Did you know, were you guys able to communicate with your pilots and like, was there fear that? There was one tense issue. A, all of Delta airplanes were accounted for except one. And that one had been reported by air traffic control to have taxied to a ramp area. It was an airport in Ohio, I believe. And air traffic control had not been able to communicate with the pilots. And Delta had not been able to communicate with the pilots. It was radio silence. So the plane was on the ground. It was just parked somewhere where it shouldn't be. It, it was parked and nobody knew what was going on with that airplane. Wow. Because they couldn't contact the pilot and didn't know why he had taxied off to a a side area. Um, it turned out that the pilot had their radio dialed to a, a separate frequency. There was nothing wrong. They were doing a checklist. Okay. 
checking a maintenance item. Um, and that turned out to be a, a non-alarm, but it was tense there for a few minutes. Of course. Do you know how many Delta planes were grounded? Like we're in the sky at that time. Can you ballpark that? Uh, Delta probably had four or 500 airplanes. Wow. In, I'm assuming. I think there are about 800 now. So um, hundreds. And of wow. course, thousands of pilots, thousands of flight attendants. And suddenly they're scattered all over the globe. I want to go back to the um, the situation room that that when everybody was in and and what was the name of the gentleman who was retired from the Air Force who was running the show? Yeah, was, Mac Armstrong. Okay, w under his leadership, obviously everybody's calm, cool, and collected and conducting their business. But at some point, the human element like the realization that the country's under attack, thousands of people have died, that one of the biggest industries in the, in the country is altered forever, the airline industry. Was there any, what was the, the human feeling around Delta at the time? Like what was the, how did people cope and get, and get through it? I, well, my subjective um, perspective and opinion was that People were aware of the enormity of it all. And of course, you don't know where it's going to lead. A lot of uncertainty and uh, it was an unsettling feeling. And yet, everybody had a big job to do. Big problems that needed to be solved. And everybody in that command room was highly experienced and so there was no, uh, there was no hysteria or uh, inappropriate emotion bubbling. It was, hey, this is big. We've got a lot to figure out here. So that was the essence. Everybody was sort of in there at the top of their game. Did you get an essence? Because obviously it was scary for Delta, but for United and for American, it was more personal. No, at American and United, I had the sense that there was great sadness because they had lost members of their family, the crew members. And airlines take very seriously and to heart the welfare of their passengers. I mean, that's the number one aim of an airline is to transport your passengers safely and securely. And that's always absolute top priority. So there was a great deal of um, sympathy and caring for the families and the crew. It, it, there was a lot of sadness mixed with the drive to address the issues and the problems. I remember um, when when it, it happened and I was on the air and we did, we were on the air for a very long day on, on Tuesday and then a long day on Wednesday. And then I think uh, Thursday and Friday, we went to Lenox Square in Atlanta, the, the biggest mall in the area. And we set up in front and we just asked people, we said, we don't know what the need is right now, but just 
if you have money to spare, we're going to collect money and then we'll figure out what to do with it afterwards. I think we did the fundraiser Thursday, Friday, Saturday and raised mm -hmm. an incredible amount of money. It was a great community effort. And then it's Sunday. I was so emotionally drained because of that, because of the adrenaline and just doing something and doing the fundraiser that I don't know that I got out of bed. Like I just, it was, I couldn't imagine having to be as embedded as you were for months or years afterwards. Well, it becomes, uh, it becomes a part of your job. But when you were talking about Linux and the fundraisers, it caused me to think about being physically present on the Delta campus on, on Wednesday. And for 20, over 20 years in going to work, to my office, I could always hear the sound of jet engines at Hartsfield in the background. And then for the first time ever, silence, total silence at the airport. That was eerie. I went to um, school near the airport and I, what is it? Three miles probably from my dad's office. And we would always hear at school, the planes in the background, it's like living near train tracks. You just get used to that noise and you don't even realize it's happening because it's just a fabric of the background noise. Based on the proximity of the school to the airport, did you have a, a significant number of Delta families at that school? We did. And people were leaving. That must have been horrifying too. Well, I couldn't remember. My mom's a flight attendant and I couldn't remember if she was traveling that day or not. Um, so I didn't know if she was in in the air or planning a trip, but there were people whose parents were pilots and they were freaking out in that time of, okay, now I think it was after the second plane. Okay. Now we're know that it's commercial. And then the Pentagon happened. So it was all of these things happening. And there were people, kids at school whose parents were pilots. And at that point, I mean, a school, you probably knew a little more than we did, at Delta, but people were scared that their parents who were flying, that something was going to happen to them. So everybody who had, um, who had airline parents, mostly Delta in Atlanta, were leaving class to go call their parents and say, Hey, do we know where dad is yet? Is dad safe? Is mom fine? And I think I actually left class to call mom because I couldn't remember what day she was flying and she, she was at home. So I was relieved at that, but there were a lot of kids. And then when we left school that day, it was silent. Just like my dad, he was hearing the same air as I was because we were three miles apart. It was eerie. It was eerie. And Jeff, you mentioned earlier making the decision to close the U.S. airspace. Right. A little footnote in history, I think. The, the person that made that decision was the manager of FAA operations, may or may not have his uh, title right, and that was his first day on the job. Oh, wow. wow. That, <laughs> that is unimaginable. Wow. I, I think his name was Ben Sliney. But imagine wow. making the decision to shut down U.S. airspace, wow. and he made that decision in a matter of 
minutes. Well, it's an impossible decision to make. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's a hard decision to make because you're affecting people no matter what you choose. Yeah. And that, that's where real leadership and courage comes in. That, that man for the rest of his life, that's the only line that he has to put on his resume. Just that <laughs> job experience, that. And that's it. Nothing else. Right. Speaks for itself. Yes. Well, thanks for coming on, Dad. I'm so glad that we got the story living on forever. I know Callie's excited to have it recorded. In the Riggs family archives. You guys do love an archive. Yeah. You do. <laughs> archives are important. Well, it's been good to be with you. And best of luck again on the on the show going forward. Cool. And if you haven't subscribed, uh, please do that. I'm a subscriber. Tell all your friends. <laughs> I'm a listener. That's Dad's how I He's also privately a consultant and gives yes. us advice. Most of the opinions, I assume, are unwanted by you, but I give them anyway. <laughs> Lies. We call for advice. All right. Good to be with you. Thank you for listening to The Upside with Callie and Jeff. We hope you enjoyed this bonus episode. Most people learn about The Upside from their friends. Please tell everyone you know about this podcast so the amazing Upside community can continue to grow. And one last thing. We would love to stay in touch with you by text. Text the word UPSIDE to 800-434-5454 and then save it in your phone as Callie and Jeff.